Here's what I've realized. More and more and more, I in Christ do not have to muster up joy. Uh, in, a, in a world, in a culture, uh, in consistent settings where it appears like people are reaching for uh, worldly happiness, and I would even include in that Christians reaching for joy in Christ, what I realize more and more and more, I don't have to muster it up. Like I, I don't have to reach down. Joy in Christ is something that I have in Christ all the time. Although Paul says be joyful always, and I've always like tried to understand what that means, I think really what he's claiming is the promise of the hope that we can have in Christ. And the reason why I think we hit last week, we saw four powerful statements in the text that we studied in Colossians. The first thing that we saw, the command was to walk in him. Walk in him, not apart from him, not separated from him, but walk in unification with him, in Christ. The second thing we saw is this. Because we're walking in him, we're rooted and built up in him. And I know for sure a lot of your friends, a lot of your family members, even you at times would believe that there are a lot of things that we can be rooted and built up in, or at least we're attempting to be. And what we in Christ keep coming back to is there are no roots like Jesus. There is nothing that builds us up like him. All of these other uh, masquerades or facades, uh, they give the impression that they do some kind of work. And what I keep coming back to is they don't. They don't really root. They don't really build up. What they actually do, uh, really with the enemy's uh, uh, massively encouragement towards this, is they, they keep us stagnant. They keep us complacent. There's this close relationship between comfort and complacency, and the enemy loves us to be there. The third in him statement we saw last week is in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells. In other words, Jesus was fully God and fully man. This beautiful constant, consistent in Scripture statement in him. And finally, we saw this, uh, this last statement, this last in him statement. You, in Christ, have been filled what? What what does it say? Come on. In him. Like, I look at those four statements, and I don't have to muster up joy. I, I don't have to look far. Why? Because I've been unified with an amazing God through the person of Jesus. And I don't want this, listen, I don't want this for one second to sound like just some, you know, like motivational, let's be joyful, always kind of a talk right now. I want to encourage you. Because the reality is some of you guys have come up tremendous trial. I left the hospital today. Okay, Pastor Lonnie is getting ready, it appears, to lose his mother. Many of you guys know that 10 months ago he lost his father. Uh, over this past weekend, all of a sudden they, they realized that his mom was hiding a massive softball-sized bed sore. She's been just sitting in her chair, basically in depression, since the loss of her husband. And so I leave the hospital today, like, just loving on my brother, loving on all of our brother, like this dude who loves and serves us so well. But even in that moment, like, even amidst the tears, and we're both crying, right? Even amidst the tears, I don't have to muster up joy, and a huge proponent of that was this a text that we saw last week as well from Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to, what's the word? Come on. Nothing. Nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I don't know about you, but that gives me cause for joy. And I asked you last week, is this true or not? Are we healed or not? Is sin, are we no longer in bondage to it or not? 
Well, if the scripture's true, then what, what I believe then is that I'm no longer enslaved to sin. And I believe that's a good thing. Anybody else? So see what I'm saying? Like I don't have to muster up joy. Okay. And so finally, I would say this. Is this the truth that we hang on tonight in him and with him? In other words, if we are really unified with God through the person of Christ, then I'm just asking you before we even do anything else tonight, what else do you need? And some of you have walked in here not in him and not with him. And listen, I'm encouraged that you're here. Because what I hope that you're going to hear consistently tonight are not just some rhetoric of reasons why, but the reality of what life is with him. And the reality of what life is without him is very, very distant and daunting. And so tonight I come with tremendous joy. And I'm going to pray tonight. Listen, seriously, I'm going to pray this. We prayed it back before we gathered tonight. I'm going to pray that tonight is the most victorious night we've ever had in the history of this church. That's what I'm going to pray. Okay, you may be like, Mark, that seems presumptuous. If we don't pray it, like, then how are we going to receive it? You see what I'm saying? Like, let's pray and believe that God can hear our prayer and that he can answer. Is anybody with me? Okay, so let's pray that. Let's ask in expectation and anticipation, and then we'll uh, study the text together. So God, uh, it is because of your goodness, and it is because of your glory that we come to your throne. God, we're asking tonight not for um, a shadow of victory. We're asking tonight for victory in ways that my friends and myself have longed for and maybe tried to understand, but maybe tonight, God, uh, that you would teach us, transform us, uh, mold our hearts in new and different ways that we could not just leave here victorious, but God, that we could stand in triumph. So I pray that that happens tonight in your name and for your glory in all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, okay? Uh, What I've realized in studying for tonight is uh, much of the text in uh, Colossians uh, verse 11 to 15 that we're going to study is married with uh, several chapters in Romans. Now, I know I say the word Romans, and some of you get, you get like a little twitch, okay? Because uh, for some of you, it's, it's a tricky uh, book. It's a, it's a kind of like, man, what, what is this? What is the book of Romans? Like, what is it implying? Listen, tonight, we're going to get rocked by the marriage of Colossians and Romans, both written by the same author, of course, certainly inspired by God, all of it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read 11 to 15, just so we can let the impact of this unbelievable text hit us, and then we're going to break it down. All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Seems confusing and somewhat weird to be talking about circumcision, but we'll do it tonight. Here we go. Having been, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, check this out, verse 13, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with, what's the word in your scripture? With, with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, Verse 14, somebody, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and please, if you're not excited yet, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in in what? In him. In him. I mean, I think you would agree with me. We could just say, have a good night, everyone, like go in peace, right? 
The word speaks for itself. That's why tonight we're going to let the word speak for itself, both Colossians and Romans. Okay, so let's begin here in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The question is, why bring up circumcision now? It seems slightly random. Circumcision in general doesn't come up in conversations around the dinner table, right? Uh, it's not something that like all of a sudden you, you begin speaking about with someone in the grocery store, okay? Circumcision is a very distant conversation. So the question is, why does he bring it up now? You remember, there is a heresy, a heretical teaching that's making its way to the church in Colossae. And one of the great heretical teachings, both of Gnosticism, which could be a section of the, the heresy, and other elements was that this kind of teaching was going to try to add to the gospel. So this kind of teaching was going to say, yeah, maybe Christ, but actually this. Maybe Christ, but what you really need to do is do something physical as well. So like a Jew, what you really need to do, either in, on the eighth day as a, as a child, or, or maybe like Abraham, when you come to faith, what you need to do is, is once you begin faith, then you need to do something bodily. And until you do something bodily, then the spiritual remains unsaved or rather unclean. Does that make sense? So the reason why all of a sudden he brings up circumcision is he's going to say, look, there is a difference between the physical act of circumcision and what Jesus does spiritually in circumcising our heart. In other words, the gospel doesn't need any add-ons. There's there's not any um, and-thens. There's not any uh, ifs. It's through him, through faith in Jesus, by grace from God, we've been saved. Okay. So beautiful, beautiful truth. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to look at what Romans says about circumcision. Okay. Not any other kind of uh, Christian novelty book, but let's look at, see what Romans says. You, however, are not from Romans 8 verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. We've been uh, asking, is our faith genuine? I used to think that was an unfair question, a bad thing to ask. Now I believe it's very rightful. We see that in Corinthians. Like, examine your, examine your faith. Test your faith. See if it's real. Well, uh, one of the realities of our faith, one of the ways that we know it's genuine, is the Spirit of God, at the moment of salvation, is placed in gift form in us. Okay. And so what Paul says in Romans 8 is, if that happens, then the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, is not unified to him. But but verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So you're you're like, Mark, but I don't see the word circumcision. Uh, Let me explain. What Christ does in circumcision is he cuts away the body of the flesh. He Cuts away, rather, the body of sin, okay? So, again, and, and, and I'm not going to do a, a, you know, show diagrams of circumcision, okay? But it's a physical act of cutting away, okay? So, to be circumcised in Christ is the work of Christ is cutting away the body of sin, putting it to death, we saw in Romans 6.6. 6. Just before this text in Romans 8, check this out, okay? For those who live according to the flesh, uncircumcised, set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Is death. Is death. So to live uncircumcised, if there's just been some kind of, listen, physical transformation. If you think that by sitting in a seat tonight, 
Or even if you think just by reading your Bible or doing good deeds, that like somehow that's going to equivocate to salvation, then you have a misappropriated understanding of the gospel. Like something has to happen on the inside, and the only person that can initiate the inside happening is the gift of God in Christ, okay? For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Does that make sense? It cannot. Why? Because it's a, it's a mortal body living with an unregenerated spirit or a still a, a dead spirit. Unmade alive by God, if we could say it that way. And so because of that, all of your longings are in the flesh. Those who are in the flesh, and somebody please better get a little bit excited, cannot please God. So listen, all of your efforts apart from Christ, you believe, are causing God to look down and like that he's applauding you and that he's keeping a list and checking it twice, right? And then he's like Santa Claus and God form up there. And if you've been nice more than naughty, then at the end he'll welcome you in. But what does the scripture say? Those who are in the flesh, uncircumcised heart, where Christ hasn't come in and done the spiritual, okay, doctoring of the heart, those folks cannot please God. Now, this is huge. Here's what I'm going to do, okay? For each verse, I want to summarize what the scripture is saying, and then I want to also look at how that affects our life, okay? So I don't just want to be super, super heavy in some tremendous doctrine, which it is, but I also want to show you how this applies. Next slide. Okay, so in Christ, let's say this from verse 11. The old nature is cut away. I share with you last week, okay, when the old nature is cut away, we are healed, and now we're learning how to walk as one who's been healed. Have you experienced that truth, friends? In the last seven days, since last Wednesday, have you watched yourself change your language? Like, do you understand that all of that old nature, the old man, is cut away? It's been circumcised. It's, it's now in the eyes of God and in us gone. Now, we're going to deal with the wrestling of, like, what still happens when I sin? What does that mean? We'll wrestle with that tonight. But have you walked in that kind of triumph this week? No, in Christ I'm healed. The old man's cut away. It's gone. The old nature. So what does that mean for our life, okay? Listen, I am no longer daily dominated by the flesh. Now, this causes a conundrum. Is that even, I don't even know if that's a word, okay? This causes a conundrum. Because some of you feel deeply dominated by the flesh. Okay? You're like, Mark, how can I get away from it? Mark, I'm really, really struggling. Mark, I'm battling. Okay? Well, the issue isn't the battle. The battle is good. If you're battling, that's a good sign. You're wrestling, it's a good sign. A sign that you may be troubled with this evening if your sin no longer has impact on your life. It doesn't cause you to focus solely on sin because I think that's one of the greatest errors of believers is they focus so much on their sin they never focus on the character of God. Like all they do is talk about their sin over and over and over. I'd rather talk about what God has done with my sin than talk about my sin over and over and over. Doesn't mean we shouldn't address it or confess it. Scripture says that. Does that make sense? Okay. But simultaneously, if we're healed in Christ, now learning to walk as one that's been healed, then what happens is, is, is I'm no longer dominated. I'm no longer held under the tyrant nature of my flesh. Okay? I have a regenerated spirit, as we said last week, living in an unregenerated flesh. And so that's the battle. 
But in Christ I stand in victory. Not because of my works or my deeds, but because of who he is. So thankfully, listen, in Christ, in him, the old man, the old nature has been cut away. So anytime you read in the scripture, like circumcised of the heart, I hope now you understand a little bit better, okay? Because it can be a confusing thing and certainly cause for some interesting Bible study discussions. All right, uh, next slide, okay? So moving on to verse 12. Look at this. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, uh, when we baptize people here at Matthias, okay, we, we have a, a common rhetoric, a common thing that we share. Okay? So someone comes in the tank, we get them in, we just ask them, hey, do you confess that Jesus is your Lord? Do you desire Holy Spirit and power to be a disciple of his all the days of your life? And they say, I do, I will, yes, Yahtzee, whatever they reply, okay? Then they put sometimes their hand on their nose, sometimes they forget, right? And we're like putting it up there for them. Don't want water to get up their nose. But then we say this, buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised to walk a new way of life. Buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised to walk a new way of life. And here's what I've realized. I don't think we've ever done a good job explaining what that means. I'm not so sure that we've ever like paused and caused you and caused me to think, how am I buried with him? That seems weird. That seems odd. Like I wasn't there. I wasn't at Calvary, okay? I didn't see Golgotha. I certainly wasn't put in the tomb with him, at least physically. So what is happening here? Let's read verse 12 one more time. Having been buried with him in baptism. And this word here implies unified with him, okay? In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So let's look and see what Romans says here. Okay, next slide. Romans chapter 6, somebody, right? Look at this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, unified with him in his death. And now you're trying to think to yourself, why is this a good thing? I thought actually that, that his death, once for all, was something I didn't have to go through. I thought that like I didn't have to be there. I thought that I didn't have to die on the cross. I, I thought that my blood wasn't significant. And all those things are true. Your blood on the cross would have meant nothing. Why? Because you're sinful. It needed a sinless, perfect Passover lamb, okay? Which certainly you and I are not, okay? So it wasn't your being there physically that means something. Here's what it means. It means that somehow mysteriously through God's sovereignty, okay, not just does Jesus take on the condemnation of your sin and my sin on the cross, but somehow we're unified with him as the head of the body of Christ in this death. And if we're unified with him, baptized with him in this death, then that has phenomenal implications to Easter Sunday. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay, now let's look at how this plays out. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that. So the reason why, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I can't make that say something else. 
I can't make that say so that we too may walk in oldness of life, that the old man still has a tyrant hold on our, on our spirit. I can't make it say that. It doesn't. We're unified in his death, then therefore unified in his resurrection, sharing. Though his sacrifice and resurrection means more than anything, in God's sovereignty and love and grace, we're unified with him. And because of that, we're unified in his resurrection and then able to walk in newness of life. For if, you, if we have been, verse 5, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we started tonight saying like in him and with him, this is a good thing. So Mary unified with him in his death, okay, our sins being crucified on the cross of Christ means that in that unification, we also walk out the tomb three days later. And not just then, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day. That's why we say here, wear your fluorescence always because it's Easter Sunday, air day. Next slide, okay? We know, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Does that get anyone a little bit excited again, right? Like, we know, we know, being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, in Christ, must also consider yourselves what? Dead to sin. I, again, I can't make this say anything else. I don't have to muster up joy. Why? Because I'm dead to sin. Dead to sin. It's dead to me. Okay. And this is an amazing truth. In light of that, in trial, disaster, tragedy, death, loss of job, loss of resources, loss of... If I have Christ, then I have it all. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We've been buried with him in the baptism of his death and raised with him to celebrate the resurrection. So let's make this point here. Next slide from verse 12. I am united with him in death and resurrection. And I'm asking you, is there anyone else you'd rather be united with? Man, I love me, my wife. Love her. Okay? Couldn't ask for a better one. Unbelievably beautiful. The way she bats her eyes at me, you know. I love it. Love our relationship. Love what God's doing in it. We've grown a lot in the last couple of years. Celebrating that growth. I love my children. Love those guys. I mean, seeing them tonight and just hugging. And, and Avery earlier, she's like, Daddy, I just want to go up and, and preach with you tonight is what she said. And what she was mean and she just wanted to stand by me, which was really surprising because she hates, like, being in front of people. But she, she was just saying, like, I just want to be near you, Daddy. I just want to be by you. I love all of that. But to be unified with them pales in comparison to being unified with him. I have some great relationships in here. Love you guys so much. I mean, so many friendships and a bond that we uh, share here at Matthias. I love that. I love that. And it will never even come close to touching being unified with him. And I'm just saying, like, where, where is the celebration of this? You see what I'm saying? Like, now all of a sudden I don't have to wake up in the morning and be like, well, let's see. Should I read my scripture in some, you know, begrudging way, or should I just lazily pass it off again? I, I don't have to muster it up. I'm celebrating. I'm unified with him. There's nothing else I'd rather be unified with. So because of that, I want to learn more about your character, because if I'm unified with it, then I get to celebrate what I have in it, okay? So let's uh, say this about our life then. I have all that I need, and I literally, literally, literally need 
nothing else. If I've been unified with him in his death, then I've been unified with him in his resurrection, and I need nothing else. What do you think you need tonight? Come on. What do you think you need? Don't answer. Um, Just look back on the last 24 hours. What has the last 24 hours communicated what you need? Right? I'm not saying that we should like, that we should all bring our sleeping bags and that we're just going to be here all the time, every day together. Okay? There would be some amazing things about that. Right? We would have cinnamon rolls until, you know, the Lord comes back. Okay? Um, For sure. Pizza, that's right. I mean, we would we figure it out, okay? We figure it out. Um, but friends, like, that's not our reality. What I'm saying is, what have you communicated by the last 24 hours of what you need? If I've been united with him, then I have all I need. And I'm just saying, guys, listen, the moment that we actually live like that, I'm telling you what, the moment that our existence breathes that, that we have all that we need in Christ, guys, can you imagine the transformation? And I'm so encouraged right now by a couple who shared a couple weeks ago. They're almost landing in, in Ghana right now, getting ready to, to pursue the adoption of their, their two boys. You know, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm just looking at them. I'm like, I texted them a couple days ago or emailed them and just said, man, I so appreciate your obedience. You know, by the person of Christ, your, this calling that you have and you've pursued it, so encouraged by that. And it's very easy for the church to celebrate that, right? Because we would seem... It's pretty hardcore. Man, adopt kids, and it is. But my friends, it's obedience. That's what God called them to do. What is God calling you to do? Like, we think in our heart when we watch their testimony, right, we're like, I'll never, like, come on, seriously, like, I'll never be able to do that. Whatever he empowers you to do, whatever he gifts you to do, whatever he opens his wallet for you to do, whatever gifts he's given you to be used for his glory, then the chance to obey a great God, being unified with him is beautiful. Well, this goes on. Check, it, check this out in verse 13. Okay, if you thought he was just getting started, oh my goodness, he has not even began yet, okay? Look at this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses. Remember this? Um, I actually, I think I figured out why our culture is so enamored by it with zombies, okay? Um, how many of you guys, admittingly, watch... You know, there's kind of this famous zombie show. How many of you guys kind of like zombie shows right now, currently? Come on, don't be afraid. All right? Okay. Several and several liars, okay? <laughs> I know because I've talked to you. You said, hey, did you see The Walking Dead, episode five, season, you know? Um, think about it. I think I know why they're so enamored with it. Because, like, you're dead, but kind of not. And alive, but kind of not. And it actually portrays most of our perspective on our life pretty well. We're alive, but kind of not. We're dead to our sin, but kind of not. Once you were dead in your trespasses, well, what did that look like? Uh, I think some of you would say, um, when I was dead in my trespasses, pre-Jesus, before Christ, um, even though I would communicate that I had hope, when all of a sudden everything hit the fan in my life, I had no hope. I like was trying to convince people that I was okay, but in my heart, it was dark, it was lonely, it was burdened, 
I was depressed. I think some of you say when when I was dead in my trespasses, like before the Lord did a work, or even some of you here still tonight, dead in your trespasses, I think that you would say, I was like, I was always striving and always working hard, always thinking that one day, like all of this is going to turn. One day, all of this is going to start to make sense. Rather, one day, I feel like I'll have purpose. And then you like looked back 35 years later and you're like, what have all the strivings done? To what end? For what purpose? It's like we're, we're kind of alive, kind of dead. What scripture consistently makes clear is that we were once dead in our trespasses. But what does the scripture go on to say? And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made. Does that say anyone else there? Does that say anyone else? Is there any pronouns there to cause any confusion? Okay. No. God, in his powerful workmanship that we saw a couple verses ago, God made alive together with what? Come on. This, with him, this like consistent language, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Once, no forgiveness, a lack of hope, consistent strivings, a lack of purpose, but now something so much more. A life that breathes hope. A life that doesn't have to muster up joy. A life that celebrates Resurrection Sunday every day. That's the power of this text that is like trying to get these believers who have this heresy that's going to be coming in to help them believe you do not need anything else. You already have everything in Christ that you will ever want, need, desire. Okay, so let's check this out uh, from Romans. Next slide, Romans chapter 5. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, which is, many people say, kind of a, a sticky deal. Like, why? How are we all associated to Adam? Like, come on, Adam, right? Like, did you know that by your sin in the garden, like, you know, thousands of years later, we would still be reeling and discussing your sin? A lot of pressure, right? A lot of pressure on that dude. He goes down and with him, you know, the rest of mankind, right? Until the Lord comes back, right? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Okay? Now, don't be confused right there. You're thinking, well, does that mean all men would be saved? Anybody? Does that mean all men would be saved? Of course not. If, if that were, were to be true, then Jesus was lying when he said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I don't know you. Okay? So we know that that doesn't mean that every man will be saved. But what that does mean is that by the work of Jesus, all man can be. Jew, Greek, man, woman, it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's open grace season in Christ, okay? For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Seen in the eyes of God as separated and holy. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. In other words, when the law, the Ten Commandments, comes in, we just studied this in Exodus, it makes the trespass clear. God lists out ten. And what the whole Old Testament reveal is that these, uh, these, these Jews are really struggling with not nine out of the ten, but ten of the ten. So the law comes in and it makes sin clear. Okay. But where sin increased, somebody, grace abounded all the more.
Listen, please, if maybe you've been gone this whole night tonight, please hear this now. So many of you right now, you're thinking, the sin is piling up. It's becoming insurmountable. The wrong I've done, the hurt I've created. The relationships I've messed up, the things that I've done, Mark, if you just heard them, what I read in the scripture is, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So those in here who feel the most unforgivable, what have you just heard tonight? But grace abounded all the more. Forgiveness is yours so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, I feel like we could just say, have a great night, everybody. Thanks so much for coming. Beautiful, beautiful text. So next slide. Let's say this, forgiveness in Christ is holistic. This may be one of the greatest truths that you've forgotten or have stopped believing. Listen, in Christ there isn't one sin. There isn't one sin unforgiven. Why is it, my friends, Why is it that we live like we're forgiven of the 95%? Why is it that we live like we're almost all the way forgiven? Listen, why is it that we take the beautiful promises of the scripture and distort them to mean something that actually goes against us? When the promise of the word is by one man's disobedience and then by one man's obedience, what? Grace abounded all the more. So the implications on our life is this. Forgiveness is holistic. Next, that means I can live free of accusation. Fully, holistically. We wrestled with this several weeks back. Now let me bring it into a little bit different light. One of the greatest tactics, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is it's that one thing that you're not forgiven of and that is going to create a a forever disconnect between you and God. No, 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 no. Don't try to tell me what I'm not. I know who I am in Christ. You see, my friends, like we don't have to muster up joy when we're claiming victory in our identity now in Jesus. It's not Christians running around with their heads cut off in an identity crisis. It's Christians rather standing on the promise of the text. We all, in Christ, have been forgiven holistically. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And so I'm free to live from all accusations. Satan comes and says, no, that one sin. No, 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 Satan, I know you'll have some power for a little while, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. In Christ, I am fully forgiven. Past, present, future. And so we've learned, let me, let me address this real quick. We've learned to like to still ask for forgiveness of our sins, okay? And some may quote the Lord's Prayer and that, and there may be other passages that you bring up. Why do we still confess our sin? If we've been forgiven holistically in Christ, why do we still confess it? We still confess it in the recognition of our sin. Like we're, we're still confessing it because we're still saying, God, I've recognized again that I have in my flesh and in this war I've fallen and disobeyed you. So Lord, I stand again in the forgiveness that you provided. I'm pleading that you will help me live as one who's been healed. That's why, come on now, someone in the 90s, right? 
how many times did you go to the altar, some of you guys, and rededicate your life for the 30th time, okay? When I was a youth pastor in the 90s, I mean, I had kids that rededicated their life every week, you know? I mean, every opportunity that you gave them, hey, so what are you up here for, prayer? No, I'm going to rededicate my life to the Lord. I'm pretty sure I saw you like seven days ago. Like, what, what, what happened? Well, I just, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I fell short. Yeah, welcome to the club. Right. <laughs> me, me too. But, I, like, there's no need for me to rededicate my life. Rather, I'm going to stand on who I am in Jesus. And who I am in Christ is, and we're going to see this later, is so much more than what the enemy can accuse us of. It's beautiful. Okay, next slide. Verse 14, oh my goodness. <laughs> by canceling, look at this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's talk super practical. Okay? Financial debt, one of the worst things ever any of us could experience. Agree? Man, some of you guys got credit card debt, some of you guys got school debt, some of you guys got, you know, mother-in-law debt, some of you guys got, you know, debt, what, right? Some of you guys, you know, it's the owing on the car, it's the owing on whatever, like debt and debt and debt and debt and more debt, and some of you guys already feel buried. What I'm saying is debt has so much power. Okay, I know it myself, thankfully out of it now, but in a season, man, under it and just... Constant condemnation, constant burdening, constant striving. Like I felt like I was a a person on a road as a tank just like rolled over me. And didn't just roll over me, but it was like going back and forth, right? Any of you guys feel that way tonight? Okay. So let's first agree that debt is very, very powerful. Okay. Uh, Well, what Paul would be uh, alluding to here in Colossae is in ancient... um, an ancient understanding of the judicial system. When someone was to make an accusation or to go against someone, uh, the debt that, uh, that one was to be paid would, would actually be written down on, you know, like a little, in our translation, a little post-it, okay? And so then someone would have all of this debt that was written down. Imagine like if just all of your debt was on one piece of paper. And so what verse 14 is saying, by canceling this record... By canceling the record of debt that stands so heavy, that stood against us with its legal demands, it was binding. We couldn't get out of it. This he set aside, the scripture says, nailing it to a cross. Now, I just want to pause here. Do you need to muster up joy? I mean, like, if, if all of a sudden the debt, the heaviness, the weight of it was set aside and then literally nailed to the cross... Like, do I have to muster up joy anymore? Right? So let's look at Romans. Check this out, okay? You thought you were done with Romans. Nope, Romans 8. There is therefore now no, what's the word? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. From the law of sin and death. For God has done uh, for, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, not sinning, but in the what? In the likeness of sinful flesh, fully God, fully man, 
and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He sends his son, his son nailed to a cross. His son then cancels the record of debt. Next slide. Let's say this. There is no debt left to pay. No debt left. All gone. And yet for some reason, some of you feel so indebted. And because of that indebtedness, you have a skewed, I'm going to even say, sinful view of obedience. Your obedience is out of indebtedness. Instead, let me say this implication on our life. Check this out. My submission to Christ is worship with joy. In other words, because I'm free, because there's no more record of debt that stands against me, that means my obedience is joy. That means my obedience is worship. It's in response to God's initiation. It's not indebtedness. Though I'm grateful, though I'm thankful, and for those that have gotten complacent in your gratitude, please repent, turn now from that sin. But I'm not racking up points towards my debt to help the price that Christ has paid. He doesn't need help. There isn't anything else that I can throw up on that cross that God's going to be like, oh, good, you, you, man, you saved us on that one. We were really, really close. But you helped put us over the edge. Thankfully, like feeding the homeless, thankfully your great gratitude, or thankfully your service in this way, Woo! no. I'm free to obey because of what Christ has done, and that's worship with joy. So for some of you that have this very skewed, I would even say almost sinful view of indebtedness with obedience, please understand our obedience is worship with joy. Again, I don't don't need to muster it up. I don't have to dig deep because I've been freed from the debt. All the weight is gone. I'm not getting one more credit card bill, right? And finally, oh my goodness, verse 15. He disarmed. First of all, first of all, first of all. Okay, when I hear the word disarmed, first of all, I get really excited because I love, I love like war stories and, and my grandfather was a World War II vet. Man, I got so much respect for that generation of men, women, uh, unbelievable folks. So when I hear the word disarmed, it doesn't just mean um, win. Here's what it means. It means all of the weaponry of the enemy, he literally like walks up to their, uh, what's, a, what's a gun? A bazooka, okay? <laughs> he walks up to the bazooka and he just like, he just breaks it in half, right? And then like dropping the mic, he just drops it, right? And then he goes to the tank and he takes that massive cannon thing and he just like twists it up he literally disarms them he like throws out all the artillery like all, he just throws it on the ground he literally goes to the enemy and he just completely takes any armored chance that they ever had so it's more than it's listen it's more than just like reactively and defensively winning It's proactively and offensively going to the enemy and disarming them. And that better get somebody excited. Okay. 
he disarmed the rulers and authorities and what? Put them to open shame. You see, the scripture talks about this day. One day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess. There's going to be one day where it's all clear. One day where it's all very, very crystal clear who the victor is. There will be no questions. Why? Because he will disarm, he will stomp on the head of the serpent in an open public forum and put the enemy to shame. Like this was no problem. Okay? I, I, like I, all of the weaponry means nothing. It's meaningless. It's kind of smoke and mirrors, we could say. By triumphing over them, and finally, what's the word? In him. So here's where we need to take a massive shift. Um, do you guys remember the old hymn, Victory in Jesus? Okay, some of you guys who grew up in church, maybe you remember. I remember my, gran- my grandpa singing the song and my grandmother sing way out of tune, okay? But I remember standing by the both of them, like singing Victory in Jesus, man. Victory in Jesus. Brandon, next week, I'll roll with you, bro, right? My Savior for, like, just this beautiful so what do you think victory in Jesus is? Like, what do you think his triumph means? Uh, well, let's say this, okay? Next slide. Check this out. Okay, Romans 8 says this. What shall then we say to these things? If God is for us, right, who can be against us? That sounds like some victory to me. He who did not spare his own son but gave uh, him up for us all, how will he not also uh, give graciously or, or, or with him give graciously us all these things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Like this sounds like a little bit of a victory chant here to me, somebody. Look at this. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? As like the battle, the victory chant reigns on. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And I will say, way easy to read and way difficult to believe. Because some of you have had some swords, some tribulation, some distress, some trial. And it has seemingly distanced you from the love of Christ. But let's just hang on the truth here for a second, okay? So in other words, put your feelings aside. Just for a second, let's hang on the truth. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. For what purpose? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The famous banner, it's on your bumper sticker, maybe a tap verse. Now check this out. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his triumph. This is his victory. The victory of open shame is they can't be separated from me. It seemed like sin did. It seemed like sin distanced us, but no, no, no. No enemy, no culture, no world They cannot be separated from me. They're mine. They're my kids. They're my sons, and if sons, then they're heirs. You you guys see, this is the victory chant of the church. Okay, next slide. Check this out. So let's say it this way. There is ultimate then and final victory. 
We don't have to wait. It's here and now. The waiting is for the final, but in Christ now, we triumph. In Christ now, we have victory. If not, then Corinthians wouldn't say we have victory in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to wrestle with this as we start wrestling with some deep truth. Next slide. My reality of victory in and through Christ is not based on whether or not I feel victorious but based on the triumph that has already occurred. Let me say it this way. I played basketball, okay? Loved me some hoops, okay? Any other hoopers here? All right, fair enough. You, like, you guys did the follow-through and your raising of hand. Well done. <laughs> Listen, there were some nights a win didn't feel like a win, right? Like all of a sudden you're playing the team that's 0-20, okay? Okay? And whatever team name they are, here they come into your home court. And I, like, even in those nights, I like had lost motivation. Except the one night that I scored my most career points against a team that was like one in forever, okay? But at the end of that game, you're just like, ah. I know it was a W, like, kind of. But it doesn't feel like a win. But when you take down, like when you're the underdog and you take down, right? Now, all of a sudden, that feels like a win. Uh, I would say this. Uh, there was a time I was, I was massively injured in a, in a basketball game. Uh, I, like, rolled my head around, and my, my head hit, my tooth hit the back of someone else's head, and it pushed my two front teeth all the way back up against the roof of my mouth. And I, like, had to go in the locker room. We won that night. Okay? We won that night. I don't know how without me on the court, you know? <laughs> listen, listen. We won that night, but it, it didn't really feel like a win. Because I was battered and bruised. Here's what we're doing with the victory that we have in Christ. We're basing the victory that we have in Christ on how we feel about it. Man, I know, I know the truth says, I know the scripture says that he's triumphed and that we have victory in him and that he's disarmed and that I no longer have this, you know, sin body of death that's reigning. I know all of those things, but it certainly doesn't feel like victory. I'm telling you, church, right now, it's time to put your feelings aside. Until they can be married with right doctrine and theology, and at that point, we will have right understanding of victory. Listen, I don't, let me say this, and please hear this shrewdly, I don't care how you feel, he's winning. He's won, and in the final end, he will prove himself again to be the, victor, to be the victor. It doesn't matter how you feel or how I feel about it. It doesn't matter if it seems like a good win or, or a minuscule win. Or it doesn't matter with your trials or tribulations and how you feel about them in the moment. He is on the throne now and forevermore. That's not changing. It's not changing. So now the question is, what do you and I do in response? Is this the like, hey guys, just go and live in victory? Or instead... Is it maybe right now, for the first time in a long time for you, you say, God, put me aside so that I can celebrate what I have in you, in him, with him, and for him, 
God, help me celebrate how I've been unified with you in death, how I've been unified with you in resurrection. God, put all of my desires aside. God, help me submit to you in joy because you've canceled the record of debt. God, help me stand in triumph, not because of how I feel about victory, but because I know you are. All of those things, God, please help me put me to the side so that I can maybe celebrate for the first time in a long time you. You, the work that you've done, the things that you've accomplished, Christ. So the fruit of that is a whole bunch of people who leave these doors completely changed because you leave these doors and you say, it does not matter What happens now in the flesh, this flesh has been killed, I've been raised with Christ, and so now I get to spend the rest of my eternity, hear me, my eternity, celebrating the victory of Jesus. Victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. Anyone want to celebrate tonight in triumph, the work of Christ? Anybody want to do that? Communion is going to look different tonight, all right? Tonight, we're, we're going to come to the cross, this image of where the debt's been canceled. And listen, church, we're going to pull off a piece of that bread, yes. And we're going to remember the night that Jesus broke the bread, and we're going to remember the, the night that he passed the cup, and he says, this is, uh, the, the represents the blood of the new covenant. We're going to do all that. But listen, church. Those of you that have entered in here burdened because of your sin, I'm praying before you make this walk, you're able to stand in victory of being forgiven. In Scripture, yes, we're called to look inwardly and even at times be remorseful over our sin, and I'm not downplaying that. I'm saying do that work in your chair, and when you come to this cross tonight, will it be a celebration for you? Will it be a recognition of the triumph that you have in Jesus? This is how the church changes and then the cities that we live in and the neighbors that we have and the co-workers that sit next to us, this is how they see noticeable gospel work in our heart because they say, what in the world, what's happened to you? And you say, listen, if I have him, then I have it all. I'm, I'm, I stand in victory, but Mark, I know what happened in your life yesterday, horrific things. Yeah, you're right, horrible things in the flesh, but I have something more. So this table tonight is a table of the ages that represents one thing in him, and that's victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Let's pray together. So, Father, um, I'm praying tonight in ways that only you can. You will help this walk tonight of my brothers and sisters. Be not a walk of shame. Be not a walk of condemnation. But I pray tonight that my brothers and sisters come to this table celebrating a canceled, no more, non-existent, washed clean debt. I'm praying for victory in your son Jesus tonight. Believers, respond when you're ready.